Uh, Before we begin um, with our teaching this morning, let's just have a moment of prayer to ready ourselves to receive. Father, we're here for you. Uh, We choose uh, in this time now to turn our hearts and turn our minds to you to focus in on what you have to say to us. Father, may uh, when we hear, may we be open to receive, to accept and be transformed by you. Holy Spirit, come and do only what you can do. Come and find your home here as you hover over us. May we respond with openness. May we respond to you this morning. Jesus, come have your way. Amen. So we are at the start of Lent, everybody. Uh, We have finished our series on prayer and we're moving into a new series leading us up to Easter um, called Why Did Jesus Have to Die? So there'll be a number of ways in which we answer this question over the coming weeks. Why did did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to go to the cross? What was that all about? We'll be exploring that over the next couple of weeks as we move towards that great celebration on Easter Sunday. And we also had Valentine's Day last week. I hope you all had a nice Valentine's Day, a lovely Valentine's Day. It got me thinking about love, and today we'll be thinking about God's love for us. And I've got a question for you to start off with. Those of you that were at the last ECC meeting will have had a glimpse of this, a precursor, a pre-run, so you should be experts when you share with your neighbor. Um, But my question is, how do we show our love for one another? Uh, Talk to your neighbor, or if you haven't got one, think and then share with me. Um, How do we show our love for one another. What do you think? Jackie, giggling. Go on. Okay, shall I come back to you? They're both giggling, you can't see, but they're both sat here just giggling to themselves, so maybe it's a private thing, I don't know. Got weird. Did you throw something? (laughs) Also giggling, okay. (laughs) How do we show our love for one another? Um, It might be a gift. We might um, send somebody some flowers or something. Just a bit put off by Peter's immense giggling over here. Um, It might be a gift. It might be turning up at somebody's house and saying, hey, how are you? Um, That might be how we show our love for one another. It might be, I don't know, serving somebody cooking a meal for somebody, Um, doing the washing up is how we might show our love for one another, okay, serving, yeah, okay, Um, anything else, how do we show our love for one another, Jennifer, a listening ear, yeah, giving somebody our time, giving giving them that listening ear to to make them uh, know that they're heard, yeah, absolutely, brilliant, Sue, Absolutely. Sue is showing everybody that she's got her pot off. It's off. Well, hey, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, sorry. So Sue's saying it depends on the circumstances. It depends on the person and what they need at that time. So Sue was just given an example of when she broke her hand, uh, people were bringing meals for her. Um, and when Sue's trying to access the computer, people have shown her how to do that. So it's getting alongside people, seeing what the need is, and meeting that need. Yeah, brilliant. That is, that is how we show our love for one another. So along with that, and I was talking about flowers a little bit, we like to give token gifts sometimes as well to show that we love somebody, to show our value for them or how much we care for them. And today we're looking at how God shows his love for us. In our first reading this morning, Romans 5, verse 8 says, God sent Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And I want to unpack that while we were still sinners section of that verse. I want to begin by looking at our condition before Jesus, before the cross. And before Jesus and before the cross, we were children of Adam. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a child of Adam, associated with Adam? Well, we were separated from God because of this problem with sin. And like Adam in our human nature, we are prone to sin. And we're subject to death because of our proneness, if that's a word, our human nature towards sin. So we have us over here, children of Adam prone to sin in our human nature, separated from God over here because of that sinful nature. We are divided, we are separate when we are children of Adam before Jesus, before the cross. We're in rebellion against God, trying to do things our own way. This drives the wedge between God and his people. It divides. Children of Adam are disobedient and subject to the law and judgment. Uh, Old Testament um, ways would tell you that keeping the law and uh, working towards um, doing exactly that, keeping the laws, keeping the commandments, would be your way to salvation, would bring about your salvation. But because of human nature, proneness to sin, we kept failing because we can never keep all the laws because we're not perfect. We will keep getting it wrong. So before Jesus, before the cross, we are helpless, we are ungodly, we are without strength or our own ability to recover what was lost by that original sin. We're a helpless people before Jesus, before the cross. So here we are separated as children of Adam over here, separated from God over here because of this problem with sin. And this was our status. This was our position with God, separate. But I want to take a look at how God responds. How might we expect somebody to respond if we are uh, in rebellion, if we are choosing to do things our own way, we've been asked to do them a certain way, how might we expect somebody to respond? 
I think our earthly understanding or the natural response to expect might be punishment. And God had every right to want to punish. But here's a curveball. God isn't punishment. Here's the heavenly or the supernatural response. So our earthly response might be to expect punishment. But the supernatural, the heavenly response is due to God's nature. And when we look at God's nature, God's nature is love. He created us for relationship with him not separation. So God sees our status and he acts out of his love, out of his nature, out of his desire for relationship with us, not separation. God acts. He has a rescue plan. He has a rescue plan to restore us out of rebellion into redeemed relationship with him. There's a lot of R's in that sentence that I want you to grab hold of. God had a rescue plan to restore us out of rebellion into redeemed relationship with him. Did you get them all? A rescue plan to restore us out of rebellion into redeemed relationship with him. And unlike how we might show our love for somebody, God isn't tokenistic in how he wanted to show his love for us. His rescue plan was to send his son. His son. His son to die on a cross. His son to be tortured and crucified so that we might have freedom of right relationship with him. Can you hear that? His rescue plan was to send his son, his, his way of showing his love and his wealth of love for us was to send his son. If you're a parent, just connect with that for a second. Sending your son, sending your child to die, to be tortured, to be crucified, that we might have freedom, the rest of his creation might have freedom of right relationship with him. But we know this, don't we? This isn't new news to us. It's good to remind ourselves of the so what question. We know Jesus was sent to die. We know Jesus was sent and he was tortured and crucified. And it's good to remind ourselves of that so what question which is what this series will draw out. Why did Jesus have to die? I want this morning to take a look at what happened at the cross. And I'm going to call this moment the exchange. So here we were over here, separated as children of Adam because of this problem with sin. And God is over here. He doesn't want separation. He wants us to be united. He wants a right relationship with us. And so in the middle we find the exchange at the cross because of what Jesus did as he went to the cross. The climax of God's rescue plan to restore us out of rebellion into redeemed relationship with him is this cross. In going to the cross, Jesus took our place. He was the only human ever to be spotless. 
ever to be without sin. It should have been us that died as punishment. But he was nailed to the cross. I don't know whether you can see down here, but I have our cross. And instead of us being nailed, it was Jesus that was nailed. our punishment for our wrongdoing for our sin that took him to the cross Jesus carried the weight of every sin that there would ever be for every person that there would ever be when he went to the cross. He took the punishment once and for all. He dealt with it in his exchange on the cross. God paid the highest price to redeem us, to bring us back into relationship with him. It's what he always intended, that we would be in right relationship with him. Such is the wealth of his love for us. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, the children of Adam. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, because they lose their value. It was with the precious blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Such is his love. 
Such is the wealth of love for us. Such is our worth and our value to God. We were over here. God was over here. Jesus went to the cross and united us. In going to the cross, Jesus heals the divide. He removes the separation between humankind and God. We were once separated, but now we have the opportunity to be united. Because of his nature of love and grace for a rebellious people, we are redeemed. Do you know how much you are loved? Do you know the price that was paid for you? Ephesians 3.13 says this, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. If you imagine these ribbons extending as far as they could, Such is his love. It's not dependent on our goodness, because on our goodness we could never do it ourselves. We could never meet the requirements. Such is his love. Look how far it extends. It extends around our whole church family. It extends to every single person that would receive and acknowledge God for themselves. God demonstrates the wealth of his love by sending Jesus to die on the cross. This is no token. This is love. But that's not the only part of the story. We know this, and you might have, remi- you might have been reminded of what you knew already long ago this morning, but that's not the only part. When we choose to believe in Jesus and accept what he has done for us, we are given a new life. Our status is changed. If you look at, looked at that reading from um, Romans 5, our status is changed from enemy of God to friend of God. Romans 5.11, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. I really struggled a couple of years ago with the concept of being a friend of God. Why did God need me as a friend? Um, I couldn't sing the song Friend of God because I didn't think that, would, that was right for me to sing that. Um, 
I couldn't accept that God would say, Katie, you're my friend, I need you. But then I have had this revelation. It says it here, we are friends of God. So not only is our status changed, but our posture and our position is changed too. I want to dig into this a little bit and look at Ephesians 2 to do that. Um, Bear with me, I'm going to lie down. So before Jesus, before the cross, it says in Ephesians 2 that we are dead to sin. Dead people can't walk, can they? Yeah, dead people can't walk. I'm not walking. So Ephesians 2 says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins, before believing in Jesus, we were dead. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So before we accepted Jesus, we were bound to sin, and our spirit was imprisoned. We were dead. But God, so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Colossians 2 verse 11 puts it this way, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. We are no longer dead and buried to sin. We are raised to new life, new life with him. You see, my posture has changed. I was dead and buried, but by accepting and believing in what Jesus has done for me, I am raised to life with him. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of your sins. He cancelled the record against the charges um, against you and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Back to Ephesians 2. For he, was, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ. And here's the posture change number two. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Jesus was seated in the heavenly realms Here's Jesus. But he 
he's not the only one sat there. There's an invitation. Our second posture change, our second change of status, our second position changed is to be seated in the heavenly realm with Jesus. When we choose to accept Jesus by faith, we are raised to new life and we are seated with Jesus and we are seated with him in the heavenly realm. Let's consider that for a moment. What does where we sit have to do with anything? Why does it matter where we're positioned, where we're sat? When you walked in this morning, if you came into church this morning, you will have chosen where you sat. Okay, in the circumstances you might have been asked, please sit here. But usually when we come to church or when we go anywhere, we choose where to sit. And there will be things as we choose where to sit that determine where we sit. You might be sat on a table because it's better for you and your family. You might be sat near the back, near the heaters to get the warmth from the heaters. That might have been uh, influencing your decision. Where we sit changes what we see and what we experience. I bet you have, if you're at home, a favourite seat in your living room. And there'll be reasons why it's your favourite seat. It'll be the cosiest or the comfiest. It'll have the best view of the telly or it'll have the best light for reading. There'll be things that determine where you sit. What happens when we choose to sit with Jesus? I'm pretty close to Jesus right now. I can hear him. I can hear how he breathes, how he moves. I can chat to him. I can learn from him because I'm sat shoulder to shoulder with him in the heavenly realm. I can see how he sees because I'm sat where he's sat. I can learn all about who he is, how he loves, how he embraces, how he transforms because I'm sat here with him in the heaven, heavenly realm. But there's more. So I'm not only sat here with Jesus and learning all these things about Jesus because I'm here with him and he's changing how I see. I wonder if you would just um, think about the, the queen for a moment and where she sits. She sits on the throne, doesn't she? And she has certain privileges and powers because she sits on the throne of England. Or consider the president of the United States. They sit in the Oval Office and they have certain privileges and powers and authorities because they sit in that Oval Office in the White House. A person who has faith in Jesus sits with him in the heavenly realm. We can enjoy days of heaven on earth if we keep our hearts and minds in the heavenlies, if we choose to sit with Jesus. But what is it about Jesus' seat that is so specific? Jesus is the king. He's overcome, he has the victory 
And because we're seated with him, because we are taken and our, our status is transformed from lying down dead to standing up to sitting in the heavenly realms, we are empowered to live and to love as he loves. By his spirit, we are enabled to live a life worthy of God's call. When we put our faith in Jesus, our status is changed from death to life, from enemy of God to friend of God. Our posture is changed. We were buried, then we were raised, and now we are seated with him. As we sit and we learn and as we receive him and we welcome him, we are empowered and enabled to stand firm and withstand. And not only does that happen, but we don't stay sat down forever, do we? We don't live our lives, most of us sat down. We walk. And having been sat there with Jesus, I'm now empowered and enabled to walk out my life of faith in response to him, to share the goodness that I know of him to my family, to my friends, to the people that I encounter. We are empowered to live out that life of faith because we choose to believe in him. And as we choose to believe in him, we are seated with him in the heavenly realm. This is love. It is undeserved, but it is redemption, it is freedom to choose, it is the wealth of God's love and grace for us, and not just for us, but for his whole creation. This is God's gift to us. I'll leave you with two questions. What gift of love would you like to receive today? Where are you going to choose to sit? Remember that Jesus is sat there and there's a spare seat next to him. What gift of love would you like to receive today? Where are you going to choose to sit? And even in our darkest hours, when we cannot see where we are going, we know we can reach out to you, and you will hold our hand and lead us through the darkness until we are in the light once more. We pray for those we love, for family and friends. We pray for those people who lead in whatever way, Give them insight of what they need to say and do. 
We bring before you the homeless, the people who have no work to go to, no money and no food to eat. We thank you, Lord, for those who give us the time and energy to provide help of many sorts, shelter, food and guidance. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, as the days, weeks and months go on, and many grow weary of having to stop in, of not being able to visit family and friends, of the ache in their hearts and arms, of not being able to hug those who desperately need a hug, and us who desperately need a hug too. Strengthen us, Lord, we pray, to keep our eyes on you, to read your word and listen for your voice. We bring these prayers to you, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. We're going to have um, a time to reflect on everything that we've heard in a second. But before we do so, let's join our prayers together and say the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We're going to spend some time just uh, listening to some music. As you do so, um, I invite you to think about the words to think about everything that you've heard this morning, um, to, uh, to consider what is your response. What is your response to this love that Jesus offers? What are you going to claim as yours? What are you going to choose? If you've been prompted by God this morning, don't ignore it. If there's something that God is saying to you, choose to dwell on that, to reflect in that as we hear this music. Don't leave here without taking that opportunity to meet and encounter him for yourself this morning. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> 